Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined in line later today by the online sleep coach himself, Nick Lamb. Now, before we get into this week's episode, I want to give you a quick recap of the week that was. And as I mentioned in last week's show, I am firmly in my professional off-season, if you will. All the basketball guys are off, started training camp this week. So I actually have some time to just kind of recenter, refocus on iFast, getting a ton of stuff done there. We're working hard to develop our staff, make sure they're kicking major arse in the gym, giving me some time to just work on my own fitness, as Fergie used to say. So uh, just got a nice little training program laid out for myself where you know, I'm just trying to check the box almost every day. You know, go in a couple days a week, get some cardio in, and not, don't worry, it's not like running on a treadmill type cardio, let's be real here. It involves uh, pushing prowlers, throwing medicine balls, hitting the sledgehammer on the tire, but it's been good. Feeling pretty good about the bod right now, feeling like I'm getting into some modicum of decent shape. So all that is good. Uh, This past weekend was actually really fun. Had two of my favorite clients, Philip and Sandy, in the gym on Friday, did the quick Superman in the bathroom, and then headed off to Indianapolis International Airport and went to beautiful New Jersey for the Complete Speed and Power Summit. And man, what a great lineup. Like I knew it was a good lineup going in, and it's pretty rare that I sit in, in front of a group and I listen to other presenters, and I'm like, damn, I really better bring my A-game today. But just such a phenomenal group of speakers that Pat Beath brought in. I mean, Rachel Balkovec, who still owes me a podcast interview for the record, I mean, she just crushed it. She led off, and she absolutely crushed it. Um, just did an awesome presentation about some of the I don't want to just say the soft skills, but you know how to organize training, how to make training relatable to different people, how to get them to buy in. I mean, just such a really, really good presentation. It's hard to encompass everything that she covered, but awesome presentation by her. Tony Holler, talking about feeding the cats. I mean, this guy is, he's a major player in the uh, Illinois track world. I listened to a, a couple of his episodes on the Just Fly Sports Performance Podcast, and man, He was awesome, really fun, really engaging. Some clown named Robertson got to talk. My boy, Zach Evanesh, who was legitimately one of the funniest human beings I can think of on the planet, he gave a talk. And then little break, they got to break up, do uh, some hands-on practical stuff, which was great because I actually shot a podcast, not of my own, but for another guy. His name's Coach U, Coach Arena. Um, Got to do a a little episode with him, so I'll let you know when that's up. Got to hang out with my boy, Lee Taft. And then, my friend, you know how this goes. I was right back on that plane Saturday uh, afternoon, evening, so I could get back because Sunday, Kendall had her final softball game of the season. Now, we had no clue what to expect going in. It was a tournament, open-seated bracket. The one good news, or one piece of good news, was that since it was non-seated, it was just a draw, we actually drew into the semifinals. So we got a bye, which was nice. But unfortunately, girls just didn't have the juice that day. Um, came out a little bit flat. I don't think this whole year have we gone three up, three down when it comes to hitting. And I mean, we just couldn't hit the ball that day. And if you've ever played baseball or softball, you know, sometimes the sticks just aren't hitting. That was not our day. Kind of sucked. But I want to leave you with this. There was a girl on our team. And keep in mind, we're talking eight-year-old girls and this this young lady had never played a sport in her life. 
like not recreationally, maybe nothing outside of gym class. This girl had never played a sport in her life, and now she's in AU softball. And if you know anything about sports in a major metropolitan area, I mean, this stuff is real, my friend. I mean, we got kids three and four years old that are already like heavily in the game. You get to six or seven, they're already, there's like travel teams, right? And there's kids practicing three, four days a week. So granted, we're a little bit more sane with our children. They do, you know, recreational level ball. I just want them to get exposed to it. So anyway, we'll come back to this young lady. She really struggled to catch up to the pace of the game, right? Whether it was hitting, throwing. So we had to spend a lot of time with her. Uh, One of our assistants was fantastic working with this young woman just every day at practice, you know, taking her off to the side. I mean, there were times where she would just throw her whiffle balls for 20 minutes and she did not get a hit. I mean, this whole year, I mean, if she was anywhere near the bat, I was excited. And, and up to this game, I think there were probably two or three times, cause I was the pitcher for our team. I think there were two or three times I actually willed the ball into her bat right now. It didn't stay fair. It went foul, but she actually touched the ball with her bat. So we're just, we're getting crushed. It's not a good game. We actually get to hit because we're the home team at the end, even though based on the rules and the amount of time left, we knew we couldn't win. But we said, we want the girls to get a chance. Like, let's try and end on something positive here. So this young woman steps up, you know, first pitch, like just kind of watches it go by. Second pitch, she actually swings and she's just behind, which it was kind of her MO. She was just a little bit late. And I just said, look, as soon as I throw it, you swing. So here we go. Throw the pitch out there. Ting. I mean, she hit the ball hard. Not only did she hit it, she hit it hard. She got on base and lo and behold, not only did she get on base, but after the next girl got up, she came all the way around and scored a run. So as much as it stings losing, it doesn't matter. Eight U, it could be three U. (laughs) I'm competitive. I hate losing. But that moment, I think, made our entire season worthwhile to see that young girl put in the time show up to every practice, work hard, and to get a hit in the last game, that made me really happy. So anyway, that was the bulk of the weekend other than I love sharing these like real life instances for myself. Hopefully this isn't TMI, but our washer dryer goes out like a week and a half ago, right? So my wife and I being proactive, we get straight to Lowe's and we tell them, look, we want to get a new washer dryer. Well, of course, they can't install it for like two weeks. So even though we bought it, we haven't had any opportunity to wash clothes. So it actually comes tomorrow. But this morning, I am fresh out of underwear. You know, I've been traveling, working, all that stuff. So literally Monday morning, I am at Target buying a coffee and buying myself some underwear. So look, life isn't as glamorous as you'd like to think. I always talk about it's not always puppies and balloons. Lot going on here, but hey, tomorrow Team Robertson is going to be so fresh and probably about 50 loads of laundry being done. So that is the weekend recap. Content train, real quick, new article this week why I hate the term movement quality. If you haven't checked this out, take five, 10 minutes out of your day, go read it. I've used the term movement quality. You might have used it. People you like might have used it. I hate the term. I'm over it. And here's why because it doesn't mean anything. The term movement quality by itself means nothing. We need context. We need to have a better understanding of the lens that each coach is coming through. Because when you think about it, you know, I like to think I coach fairly high level athletes, but I coach my athletes how to squat vastly different than I would a power lifter. 
okay? So how can I preach movement quality and a high-level powerlifting coach preach movement quality and us have totally different ideas as to why that is, yet both of us be right? And if you're wondering how that can be, you need to go read the article. So go check it out, why I hate the term movement quality. I think it will start some, some very good discussions for you, your staff, and other people you interact with. New video for the week, med ball arc walks. Man, you want a shoulder, arm, core roaster. This is it. This is one of the exercises that I used way back, way back in the Ball State days. Uh, my boy Justin Cecil turned me on to this. And man, it crushed me then. It crushes me now. It's one of those I just tend to forget about from time to time. But if you have anybody that wants more core strength, more shoulder stability, you got to check that one out. Last but not least, the podcast. As of today, Monday, 994,716 downloads. That means if all goes well and you actually listen to this episode, maybe one other one this week, we will cross the 1 million download mark. So as always, thank you for your support. I say it at the end. I'm going to say it now. Love and appreciate you. The show wouldn't be where it is today without people like you. So thank you so much. And one final thing, this is my random musing or deep thought for the week, and it's going to ring true, right? It rings true, especially the longer you do this, but people always love to talk about the term, it depends, right? Or the answer to every question is, it depends. And that's true. But I think more importantly, it all comes down to context. So Tony Holler gives this amazing presentation about sprint training on Saturday at the performance summit. And, you know, he's pretty funny. He's a pretty engaging dude. He trains sprinters. Like that is his thing. He doesn't train distance runners. He doesn't train soccer players or basketball players. He trains sprinters. So if you listen to his talk and you're looking at it, you know, from this just really kind of ambiguous perspective, okay, you know, everything Tony says is right. And then when I come on, and I start talking about you need aerobic training and it's okay for kids to play soccer and all this, like it could come across as, oh, wow, this seminar is really bad because, you know, Tony said this and Mike is saying these things and they're totally opposite to each other. And I had something similar happen a couple years ago at the physical prep summit. Boo Shexnader was talking about some certain elements of training. And I was, if you're not looking at it from a contextual perspective, I was basically refuting that and saying that I do these things that Boo said he didn't. So this is where context is so important because when you start to dig in and you learn more about Tony's approach, well, you know, Tony trains high level sprinters. Like we're talking elite level sprinters in the state of Illinois, which is super competitive in track. So Tony has these runners and yeah, he's probably not going to do a ton of aerobic conditioning. And when he says aerobic conditioning, because I talked to him after uh, our presentations, we had a great, you know, 15, 20 minute chat. He's like, when I talk about aerobic conditioning, I talk about the way most coaches employ it, right? Which is go out and, hey, go do a 30 minute run for your sprinters, right? We got to get their legs in shape. Whereas, you know, he may be talking about sprinters. I'm talking about field sports athletes. And I'm going to talk about, yes, the aerobic system is important. Maybe we're not going to go run 30 minutes to get it, but we're going to find other ways to introduce it into the programming because the energy production demands of a field court sport are vastly different than you would see in a hundred meter dash. So this is where 
whether you're going to a seminar, whether you're having a discussion with a coach, you have to start to understand context. You have to understand not only your context, right? Like why you coach things the way that you do, what your reality is based on the clients that you work with, the training environment you're in, whether you're in a big box gym, a small custom semi-private gym, like all of these things play a role in how we coach. And if you don't take a minute to step back and understand why you do things a certain way, there's no way you're going to understand why somebody else might do it a different way. And so that's why I wanted to talk about this, not only in the podcast, but it's a big point behind uh, the, the article of the week where we're talking about movement quality. Like, look, everybody's entitled to kind of their own opinion and their own philosophy, but you have to understand why you think and operate that you the way that you do so that you can then better understand how other coaches think and operate and why they do things in a certain way. We don't all have to agree, right? This isn't like a utopia. We're all not going to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. At the end of the day, we have to do what's best, what we think is best for our clients and athletes. And every coach and trainer out there is going to do the same thing. But if you can better understand context, put yourself in their shoes. What is their setting? What's their environment? What are their goals? What do they want to get out of training? The better you can understand and appreciate that, now you can have a really real and honest conversation. You can start to dig deeper and you can start to better understand why they may coach or program or cue in a way that seems different or maybe foreign to you. So my friend, I hope all that makes sense. Just keep in mind, whenever you're having a discussion with somebody, whenever you're trying to better understand somebody's coaching philosophy or why they wrote an article this way or why they may say this in a video, do your best to understand their context and their situation because it's going to ultimately make you a better coach. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump into this awesome show with Nick Lane. This episode of the Physical Preparation Podcast is brought to you by Momentus. For many years, I simply disregarded the age-old advice of getting liquid protein in either during or after workouts. Part of this was due to the fact that most had so much crap in them, I didn't want to put them in my body, and others might have been high quality, but tasted absolutely disgusting. However, if you're looking for a protein that's not only high quality, but also tastes amazing, you need to check out Momentus. I've been using Momentus for several months now, and I can tell you it's hands down the best tasting protein I've ever had. But it's not just me. I have numerous elite level athletes who are very picky with their protein powders and every one of them raves about how great Momentus protein shakes taste. And while the taste is amazing, the best part about Momentus is that they're incredibly transparent with what goes into their product. You never have to worry about a tainted or dirty supplement, as all of their products are NSF and Informed Sports certified. If you'd like to try Momentus out for yourself, head over to livemomentus.com forward slash Robertson and use the code Robertson20 to save 20% off your first order. Or if you want to try before you buy, get a free three-pack sample sent to your house by using the Robertson sample code at checkout. Regardless of which option you choose, I guarantee once you try Momentous Protein Shakes, you'll never go back to anything else. Nick Lamb is a massage therapist, strength, sleep, and health coach but envisions himself firstly as a healthcare practitioner. He believes exercise and lifestyle interventions can be the most powerful medicine 
especially when used proactively for our health. Most notably in these lifestyle interventions, Nick has taken a deep dive into sleep. He believes that sleep is the foundation for health and well-being, despite often being undervalued and underappreciated. As the online sleep coach, he provides all things sleep and sleep education, including one-on-one consultations and coaching, group coaching for teams, and speaking engagements. In this show, obviously, Nick and I go deep into the world of sleep. We start with one simple tool everyone should be using to better understand their sleep, why many of us should change our narrative on sleep itself, and the three most common issues he sees in his clients today. This is a short yet practical show, and I really think you're going to enjoy it. But enough for me. Let's do this. Nick, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Super excited to chat with you. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for thanks for having me. So I am a strength coach, personal trainer, health coach, massage therapist, and I guess most notably a sleep coach. That's wearing a lot of different hats. Yeah. Uh, I worked in the PT realm for about the last six years, working mostly with people in the context of recovering from injury. I recently moved to Southwest Florida with my wife and my eight-month-old daughter, really to to go out on my own. So my brands right now include the online sleep coach, Southwest Florida Sleep Coaching, where I provide some sleep coaching in person. And then my overarching brand is Proactive Health and Wellness, which encompasses not only the sleep, but a lot of other elements of of coaching and and health. I love it. I love it. What originally led you to the world of physical preparation? How did you get started in all this? Yeah, so I think much like many strength coaches, I definitely got started by being a meathead first. Yeah. And having a few injuries of my own is what got me a little bit more into the therapy and the rehabilitative world. Came very close to going to PT school, but decided to stick in the strength and fitness field. And then working with an injury population specifically, I think is what led me down the path to viewing things more through the lens of health first. So, you know, all the other factors that predispose people to injury and breakdown, obviously sleep being a, you know, a big piece of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. And would you mind giving us a little rundown of your career path? I know you said you're out on your own now, but take us up to that point, if you will. Yeah, of course. So I spent the first few years of coaching, again, like like a lot of strength coaches working in big box gyms, just trying to get, you know, coaching as many people, uh, as many people as possible. And then, like I said, about six years ago, again, got a little bit into the, the rehabilitative world, the therapy world. So worked for three different PT clinics. And then within the last six months, decided to to go out on my own. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So let's start with a pretty simple question. Obviously, your handle on Skype is the online sleep coach. And that's kind of what you're known for. What got you so interested in the topic of sleep? Yeah, so I think sleep coaching is definitely not something that people typically hear a lot of or, or resonate with. So you get uh, you get a little pushback on that and people <laughs> kind of raising some eyebrows. But for, you know, the last few years, you know, working with an injury population, I've really emphasized looking at things through the lens of health first. So I really have this vision of empowering trainers and coaches to envision themselves more as healthcare practitioners first, right? I think think we have a lot of potential contacts to influence someone's future health really more than anyone else. And I think with that comes a lot of responsibility. So that led me to dive into a lot of other factors such as behavior change, nutrition, sleep, stress management. And on sleep specifically, I really just became fascinated with sleep. I became fascinated with everything about it. And, you know, I also 
even more so, I became fascinated with how little attention and focus that I think sleep was getting in comparison to exercise and nutrition, despite it really being foundational to both of those pieces, as well as a lot of other elements of health. So, you know, one of my goals is really to bring sleep into the the forefront of coaching. So, you know, for people who are really struggling with sleep, I saw an opportunity, you know, there's a large percentage of people that are struggling with it. And there's really not a lot of options for those people short of, you know, sleeping pills or, you know, these sleep hygiene lists that are out there, but we can't just give people a list of, you know, hygiene or a list of anything and expect results, right? We wouldn't do right. that for exercise or nutrition. So I think sleep should fit into that same bucket where we shouldn't just expect people to to be doing these things on their own. I love it. So you wear obviously a lot of hats as you led with, you know, you're a massage therapist, you're a strength coach, you're a sleep coach. Where in the process do you start talking about sleep with your clients? Sure. So I think I think there's a lot of different ways that coaches can can really interject sleep coaching into their path. For me, it depends. So, you know, having these brands that are specifically for sleep coaching, I definitely see clients exclusively for sleep coaching. Sure. Right? Very often I'll see them either virtually or in person specifically for sleep coaching. But in addition to that, regardless of the hat that I'm wearing, sleep is always a really integral part of my intake process. I really kind of dive deep regardless of the person that I'm working with. You know, I've even done in the past like a, you know, 30 minute sleep consult at the beginning of working with a new training client that I know I'll be mm-hmm. working with long term, really just to make sure that I check that box for them because I know that it's going to be so pivotal regardless of what their goal is. That's very cool. I mean, I would assume that it would be early on in your case, especially if that's kind of one of your things, but it's interesting to hear that you go into that that depth. So if someone comes to you and they know they have a sleep issue, what does your process look like for getting them started? Or maybe just what does the intake process look like when you're starting with a new client? Sure. So specifically talking about if I'm working with someone just from a sleep coaching standpoint, you know, they are coming with some type of sleep issue or, or whatever the case is, you know, much like every other facet of what we do, it really begins with a detailed medical history. There's a lot of different comorbidities that can affect sleep in particular, different mental health disorders and things like that can, that can really affect sleep that you want to make sure you know about and have all the details about. You want to really get a lot of information about, you know, sleeping pills and any sleeping aids that people are going to be taking. The next step is I spend a lot of time screening. So I spend a lot of time trying to screen for some of the major sleep-related disorders, in particular things like insomnia, sleep apnea, which is a very dangerous condition that you know maybe we could talk a little bit more yeah. about. But And then depending on the case, depending on the use case, a sleep diary is really a valuable part of the process, both at the onset and then ongoing. So you know, getting information like the time it takes for them to fall asleep, the time in bed, the amount of time that they spend awake, how long it takes for them to fall back asleep. These are all metrics that you want to see, you know, improve over the course of working with someone. So, Hmm. you know, I'll often give people questionnaires as well. There's some good research validated questionnaires that are out there that will help me provide a pretty good baseline for what someone's sleep health is. And then I spend a lot of time diving into someone's individual sleep tendencies. So kind of figuring out what their genetic preference is in regard to their circadian rhythm, their internal clock, yeah. call this a chronotype. So I spend yeah. a lot of time trying to figure out what their chronotype is and how we can match not only their sleep, but a lot of other variables to that as well. Sleep tracker data is something that will really depend on the situation in regards to whether or not I use it with someone in my coaching process, but that can be, can be a piece of the equation as well. Gotcha. Man, if you don't mind, I got a couple follow-ups there because there's some yeah, great stuff. So first off, you had mentioned mental health issues. Can you like go into a little bit more depth there? Like what, what mental health issues could affect or negatively impact sleep? 
So yeah, this is this is an interesting an interesting subset of sleep. And really just about every mental health disorder that there is has a bi-directional relationship with sleep, meaning these disorders can potentially disrupt sleep and vice versa, right? So mm-hmm. depression and anxiety are the ones that, that come up the most. A lot of issues that people tend to have with sleep tend to be centered around anxiety. So there's a specific chronotype called the dolphin, and this is really people the mo- that struggle the most with insomnia, and those are the people that tend to be much more anxious. They tend to deal with anxiety a lot more. So there's definitely a correlative relationship between insomnia and people who have anxiety, but you could span across a lot of different mental health disorders, PTSD, all these things, again, have that bi-directional relationship with sleep where they can affect the sleep, but obviously improving sleep and improving their behaviors around sleep can improve those conditions as well. So, Yeah, no, that's very cool. I could just imagine... Like it's just that vicious cycle, right? If somebody's anxious and then they don't sleep and then they don't sleep. So then they're anxious. It's just that like kind of negative spiral downwards, right? Exactly. And a lot of times with a sleep with sleep coaching, and this is why I think it's so important for sleep to be something that we coach is, you know, you're not going to break that type of cycle with just, again, giving people a sleep hygiene list or telling them to sleep more, right? It requires all of those elements of coaching that we know are so important, right? Getting to know the person, being empathetic to that person, the behavior change aspect. So that's why, you know, I'm so passionate about sleep being something that we're really coaching people through because it's difficult to break that anxiety cycle. People have this perception that they build up around sleep where, you know, they have such negative context around sleep and they, you know, the time leading up to sleep becomes something very anxiety provoking for them. Hmm, that's interesting. So another question that I had, because you talked about questionnaires, are there any tools that you like for like tracking sleep? Because I mean, I know, and it's not a plug because they don't plug me or they don't, I'm not on their payroll, but like I use an aura ring, right? But are there any tools that you like or use out that you use or prefer that are out there? Yeah. So I think of the things that are out there, the aura ring is the most accurate and the best that I've, that I've used. Just the caveat with with sleep trackers, and this is just coming from me wearing my coaching hat and having dealt with people actually having sleep issues, is it really depends on the person. So again, going back to that anxiety-related thing, a lot of times for certain people, you know, these devices and these trackers can build up more anxiety when people aren't getting the numbers that they want. So so especially at the onset, I'm, you know, usually discouraging people from using trackers. But for someone with otherwise healthy sleep, I think that there's there's a lot of merit to using them. Again, Aura Ring would be would be my favorite. Um, keeping in mind that distinguishing bes- between the stages of sleep, they tend to not be all that accurate. But the important thing is that they're consistently inaccurate, meaning even though they may be a little bit off, you know, with you tracking them on an ongoing basis, they're consistently off. So you start to get an idea and bring some awareness to how different lifestyle variables like you know, when you drink alcohol, yes. um, when you time your nutrition, when you time your exercise, you start to see how all of these things influence or potentially can influence your sleep. So I think from the standpoint of bringing awareness, I think there's a lot of, a lot of value there. But, you know, the only way to really, you know, accurately assess your sleep is to be in a sleep lab because sleep is so complex from the standpoint of what's happening physiologically, yep. right? Differences in brain waves, difference in hormone balances. It's, the only way to really accurately measure all these things is to be in a sleep lab where you can account for all these things. I love it. Okay, so one more follow-up because, again, there was so much good stuff in there. Chronotypes. How do you go about unpacking, you know, other than, oh, what time do you like to get up and what time do you like to go to sleep? I'm assuming it's a little bit more detailed than that, but how do you go about unpacking what type of chronotype somebody is? Yeah, so I think I think usually this is pretty inherent for most people, right? It's, it is – 
sometimes obvious where they know what their their preferences are, especially if they're on the extremes, right? If they're a yes. really morning type or if they're a really evening type. But for people that are kind of on the fence and somewhere in the middle, there's some questionnaires. Again, back to the questionnaires. There's some questionnaires that can help you decipher. There's the Munich questionnaire. There's the morning eveningness questionnaire. There's the book, The Power of When by Dr. Dr. Michael Bryce, the sleep doctor. And he has a specific quiz that helps people kind of work through what their, their chronotype is. But, you know, in a lot of cases, like I said, people inherently know that they just don't necessarily get in line with that, right? They don't try and optimize what their chronotype is. So just as important as finding out what that chronotype is, is really trying to align as many things as you possibly can with that chronotype. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So now you have assessed this person, you've had kind of that introductory session. What does the actual process look like? Because I'm interested Obviously, when somebody comes into the gym, we come in and we work them out and, you know, we talk about how did the session go and what are we going to work on next time? Like, what does your process look like when you're going to coach somebody on their sleep? Sure. So, you know, similar in the sense that every time, you know, you're, you're working with someone, you're, you're getting feedback. Typically, the sleep diary is the thing that we're looking at and giving a lot of feedback on. So every week that I'm working with someone and how long I work with someone really depends. Sometimes it's just a one and done type of thing if people just want to learn more about sleep. Yep. But from the standpoint of really trying to optimize someone who has sleep issues, you know, typically it's in a four to six week block, something along those lines. I'm not necessarily seeing people on a consistent basis for you know months down the road, hopefully not. You know, if I am, then I really haven't done my job. But, you know, the sleep diary is the biggest thing where each week they're going through and they're filling out all the details on there. I'm, you know, kind of walking through those things. And we obviously want to see those, some of those metrics improve. And if not, that's where the the coaching piece really, really comes into play. My coaching is really influenced a lot by the principles of CBTI. So cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. It's a mouthful. Yeah. That's typically done in five or six weeks where each week is basically a new habit or a new behavior focus. So okay. I tend to construct things in that type of way where each week we're focusing on something different. It also allows me to not have to change too many things for people at once. I like it. Yeah. If you're throwing like 30 things at them in session one, I'm assuming they're probably not going to be very responsive or very compliant as far as following through. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, the same thing that we would do again, back to, I always liken it to exercise and nutrition as much as possible just to to have it make sense. It's the same thing, you know, as from like an exercise standpoint, you wouldn't have, you know, on day one, you wouldn't be teaching someone how to not only squat, not only deadlift, but right, maybe you just pick one of those movement patterns that you're working through on day one, and then you, you kind of build off from there. So very similar with sleep. Yeah, or at the very least, you're not giving them 30 different cues to work on, <laughs> yeah, right? You're yeah, picking exactly. one or two and like, let's work on this. And then the next session, we'll change it up and we'll work on something else if you've got that mastered. Exactly. Yeah, you're not going from all your everything in your progression book day one. So <laughs> exactly. I love it. So I understand sleep may not be as tough as nutrition. I could be wrong on that. But I'm sure you definitely get some pushback when it comes to changing people's patterns and habits. So what are some of the most common issues you see and how do you go about addressing them? Yeah, so you definitely get pushback. And I think the reason why you get the most pushback is this perception of sleep and the way that sleep has been painted in society. And it's obviously something that I'm very passionate about changing through education and through things like this. I think we can really change the narrative on sleep, right? The idea that yeah. that people view sleep in this, you know, ah, I can kind of do it later type of thing. And, and if you're prioritizing sleep, you're looked at as lazy and unproductive. So, you know, the first piece to that is really trying to change that, that narrative. 
which is why, again, I think coaching is a, such a huge piece of that, right? That behavior change element. So most of the issues, like I touched on earlier, that people have around sleep are these negative learned behaviors that we're trying to break. So the more that I can connect people's goals to sleep directly, the more important that, that is to really create that buy-in. And the nice thing is because sleep is that lever that we can pull for so many things, regardless of what someone's goal is, whether it's to improve performance, whether it's you know improve body composition, sleep is going to play a role in some way, shape, or form. So the nice thing is that of all the things we often ask people to do to change their life, I think sleep is probably the most pleasant, right? Yes. Who doesn't want a good Who doesn't want a good night's sleep? So right. I think that uh, I have that on my my side. So you know, um, oh, go, go ahead. ahead, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say just specifically to answer your question in terms of common issues that I see. I think probably the three most common things that I think I see are firstly the the lack of prioritization for sleep and sleep routines. Right, so that comes back to that changing the narrative of how people view sleep and how important it is. The second thing I see is, again, those negative learned sleep behaviors and thoughts. And then lastly, which we could talk a little about is the untimed circadian rhythms that are going to cause a real imbalance in, in hormones. They're going to cause untimed spikes in their sympathetic nervous system around the timing of sleep and and all of those things. So people really going outside of what their natural circadian rhythm is. Okay. You know, one thing that I love that you mentioned was this idea of creating context. And I think that's so powerful as coaches and as trainers, right? Because we just had this discussion. We did a staff training the other day and we've got a new coach and, you know, we're trying to explain to her, you have to make everything that you do in the gym relevant to that person's goals, right? So the way you would introduce a squat to somebody that wants to lose weight is different than how you'd introduce a squat to somebody that wants to build muscle. And that's different than how you would introduce it to somebody that wants to power lift. And it's different than somebody that's going to go and play a sport. Right. Yeah, so absolutely. I just, I love Context that. is everything. Yeah. Yes. And, and that's yeah, so you have important. To take your, you have to take your own agenda out of, out of it. It's, it, and it's difficult to do, but it's, it's yes. so crucial. Yes. So talk to me just a little bit about the circadian rhythms and, and how you can, can work with people on that. Cause that's something I'm always interested in. Yeah, so this is a really interesting, interesting and growing field, the, the field of circadian biology and, and really connecting all of these things to, to general health, to performance, to performance output. So really, everyone has, like we talked about, this individual chronotype, and everyone has this 24-hour internal clock, which most of the time we think of in the context of sleep, right? Mm-hmm. This rhythm will dictate when you'd like to be asleep, when you'd prefer to be awake. But what people I think miss the boat on is that there's a lot of physiological variables that fall on this circadian rhythm or prefer pre- preferably fall on this circadian rhythm. Everything from when you're most alert to, you know, when you're most optimal to digest food to, you know, when certain hormones rise and fall to when your blood pressure and your heart rate fluctuates. So all of these things. And once you know what your chronotype is and you take a little bit deeper of a dive into you know, what should your clock look like? And obviously there's certain variables that you won't be able to to control, but of as many things as you can control that would fit ideally, you know, on that that clock, the better you're going to be not only sleeping, but the better you're going to be for overall health and performance. Hmm. That's awesome, man. So as trainers and coaches, even if we're not like sleep experts, we know that sleep is important. But maybe we don't know how to how to start our own education in this regard, right? Because, like, let's be honest. If you go to school, you probably have a lot of anatomy and physiology and maybe some nutrition courses, but you don't get educated on the topic of sleep. So what are some resources that you could point us to if we want to start learning more about this for ourselves? 
Yeah, so this is something I'm really passionate about changing and I'm actually currently working on right now. There's definitely a lot of information out there, but you know, it's taken me mixing and matching a lot over the last few years to create a coaching construct, right? To create a comprehensive construct that actually makes sense. So what I'm doing right now is putting together, you know, shameless plug, but I'm <laughs> putting together a certification course for coaches right now uh, that cool. compiles all of these elements, right? So the sleep science and research, those cognitive behavioral therapy, behavioral strategies, what we know about circadian biology and chronotypes, and then tying that in obviously to specific coaching and behavior change strategies to put it into this context of, you know, if coaches, even if they just want to learn more about sleep, if they want to actually go through this route of maybe coaching people up on their sleep, but, you know, in the interim, anything that Dr. Matthew Walker does, you know, is absolutely fantastic, especially in regards to the research on sleep and, you know, painting the picture of how important sleep is. Anything that Dr. Michael Bryce does, B-R-E-U-S, and his work on chronotypes and the practical application of those chronotypes, I think, you know, with those two, you can't go wrong and that'll kind of point you in the right direction. But again, you know, hopefully I'm able to put something together that really compiles this into, you know, into one. Yeah, I love that. Matthew Walker, was he the one that wrote Why We Sleep? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. And really interesting book. It's funny. He even mentions like, oh, hey, if you fall asleep during this book, I'm not going to be upset. And I'm pretty sure I did a couple times. It's a little slow at points, but there's some really interesting stuff. And another one that I really like is a guy named Nick Littlehales. Yeah. I actually so interviewed. He, has, he, he does a great job with the coaching aspect of it as well, which is what you don't get a lot. So yes. the way he goes through his coaching processes, you know, is really interesting. The way that he looks at things through the lens of cycles, right? Helping people mm -hmm. structure their sleep cycles, which tends to decrease a lot of the anxiety that people have around sleep. So he's definitely another great resource for, for people to check out as well. I love it. I love it. And I'll, I'll put links to all this in the show notes because I've interviewed him as well. So, okay. Cool. But now I'm really curious. And hopefully you're going to appease me here. What's the strangest sleep issue that you've dealt with to date? So fortunately, I haven't really had to deal with anything too crazy just yet. And I'm sure that will, will change. I did have a female client recently who sleepwalked quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so that sleepwalk, sleepwalking is definitely pretty fascinating and a little more common than people actually think. But she would do some strange things when she, she sleepwalked that her husband would observe. She would usually stay in her room, which is not typical, but she would <laughs> often break something in her room. So there's a few times she broke a lamp or broke something else in her room. So in addition to the all the things that I would do from a coaching standpoint, which it's managed pretty similarly, it was controlling her environment to make sure that it wasn't like a dangerous environment for her, right? Keeping the floor right. clean, making sure there wasn't anything sharp or dangerous in her room and so it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. There's so many sleep disorders. There's, you know, even though there's a lot that aren't that common, there's, there's hundreds of them that people don't even realize. So that's crazy. What, like, do they have any idea what causes that or why that happens? <clears throat> yeah. It's one of those things it's, it can be a wide, wide range. It can be really just a buildup of sleep debt. So people will sometimes not only, it doesn't have to always be chronic sleepwalking. People can get it you know, just periodically as well, when they have too much of a sleep debt built up or, and then there's obviously incidences of certain underlying medical conditions that can certainly play a role, different head traumas and, and things along those lines. But a lot of times it's a lot of the same other behavioral issues that people have with sleep, right? Mistimed circadian rhythm, not getting enough sleep, not getting good quality of sleep. And it just affects everyone a little differently. Hmm. That's interesting. Okay. So I've got one more because I was again, jotting down other things I wanted to ask you about. I'm a big believer in the gym of finding easy wins, 
right? Like simple things that we can do to help people feel more successful about training or nutrition or whatever. Do you have any easy wins for people that are maybe struggling with sleep or easy things that they can do to maybe get themselves back on the right track when it comes to their own sleeping habits? Sure. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of, you know, a lot of different options here, but you know, when we go back to that cognitive behavioral therapy approach, really the first step, right? Usually week one or the first thing that we go at with people is what we call cognitive restructuring. And that's just a fancy way of saying, changing the negative thoughts that you have around sleep. And so, especially when people haven't been sleeping for a long time, you know, people have really some negative connotations built up around sleep. And, you know, they, they paint it as the end all be all and that, you know, if they don't get eight hours of sleep, their, their life is over as they know it. And <laughs> so I think the biggest thing you can do, probably the low hanging fruit right off the bat, you know, obviously the hygiene stuff is all really important, but is to, to give yourself credit, right? You, even if you've been struggling with sleep, you know, that's, it's not the end all be all called core sleep, where even if you're getting four or five hours of core sleep, you know, you will be able to function, your brain will be able to function. So even if you've been struggling with sleep for a long period of time, there's always, there's always room for change. And you can always kind of get all of your health and cognitive metrics back pretty quickly when you optimize your sleep. So, you know, kind of taking out the idea that because you're not sleeping or because you can't sleep that, you know, all, all hope is lost. So I think right. the biggest, the biggest low hanging fruit is to just give yourself a little credit and know that there's, you know, there's plenty of options out there for you. That's awesome. All right, my guy, big question time. If you could alter the space time continuum and give young Nick Lamb one piece of advice about training in or life, what would it be? Hmm. Well, from from a training standpoint, I think I'm with most trainers and coaches that I would be embarrassed by the programs that I was writing in the beginning. So that's definitely one thing I'd go back and advise on. And it's a little cliche, but I think for me, it would be being more empathetic. So I think as a trainer and coach, it's so pivotal to what we do. And it honestly took time for me to develop that and realize that people are all coming from such different backgrounds, such different experiences. And, you know, especially for new coaches, I think this is something that gets lost a lot is the understanding that that's a human being in front of you. And you just don't know, right? I mean, you just don't know what someone's been through, what they're going through, what their background is, what their beliefs are. So everything we do is understanding people and empathy is probably the most valuable thing that really is going to serve, serve you well in the coaching industry. And I wish I had known that, you know, and place more emphasis on that at the onset, I think. Yeah, for sure. I think it's just, it's so weird to us or foreign to us because we all get into health and fitness because we're passionate about it. And then when you get in there and you realize like not everybody is that way, you know, they're not always as excited about coming to the gym and working out or eating in a nutritious way. It's like, oh, okay. Once you start to realize everybody is coming this, like you said, from a different perspective, they've got different levels of motivation and energy towards what you're trying to get them to do. Once you can get your head wrapped around that, it makes your life infinitely easier. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's, that's kind of the evolution was the evolution of coaching for me is, you know, you have this, you know, from outside in approach and the in, you know, the inner part of that circle should be the person, right? Understanding yes. the person, you know, the piece out from that is health. And then, you know, on the outer circle is, is the fitness and the things that we obviously do with people and are really passionate about and is obviously very important. But, you know, if you don't check those boxes of connecting with the person in front of you, you know, and understanding that, that their health is imperative first. And you're going to have a lot harder of a time with, with the fitness, the fitness stuff. So I love it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So last but not least, we've got our lightning round and pretty short questions, but your answers can be as short or as long as you'd like. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. Number one, what's your career highlight so far as a coach or practitioner? 
I think honestly, just for me right now is, is having to have had the opportunity to go out on my own. It's something that I always dreamed of being able to do, but wasn't sure if I would actually make, make happen. So fortunately I have a very supportive wife and, you know, we moved to a great area in Florida. And so, you know, I'm really just very fortunate that I was able to go out on my own. So I think that's, you know, my biggest highlight. I have a few speaking engagements coming up. I'm really excited about and you know, hoping to do to do more of those and just, you know, spread the word on sleep. So I love it, man. I love it. Okay. Number two, what book or books are you reading right now? I am currently reading Lifespan by David Sinclair. So David Sinclair does a lot with the aging space. I'm really into the aging and longevity space right now. I've kind of taken a deep dive there. I'm also reading The Telomere Effect by Elizabeth Blackburn. Okay. And the Kaufman Protocol, K-A-U-F-F-M-A-N Protocol by Dr. Kaufman. That's, again, on the context of, of aging. Man, you're going to fit in great Southern yeah. uh, Florida, man. Yeah, you're going to exactly. be like killing it between sleep and anti-aging. That's the hope. Yeah, I got to read more fiction. I think that's my uh, I think just to kind of detach a little bit. I mean, I love to read, yes. but it's always it's always stuff that's relevant to, you know, to what we do and to the field. But sometimes it's good to to read yes. something else. So. I've, I've recently got into reading fiction again, and it's it's nice. It helps you shut off a little bit better before bed, that's for sure. Definitely, yeah. Number three, what's one thing that you wish people knew about you? Uh, I guess I guess at this point it's just that that I exist, um, <laughs> that I, and, then, and then I'm here to I'm here to bring you know sleep into the forefront, man. I think you know, fortunately and unfortunately, I've been you know working in PT practices and working for someone else for the last you know however many years and you know, haven't really been able to focus on building a name for myself. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of things I've taken from that, but, you know, I haven't been able to place as much emphasis on kind of putting my own name out there and, you know, especially with this niche of sleep. So I guess the one thing would just be that, you know, that I'm here. I love it, man. I love it. <laughs> Number four, last but not least, what's next for Nick Lamb? What do you got going on? What are you excited about right now? Yeah. So again, you know, the shame, the shameless plugs, I mentioned it earlier, the sleep coach certification that I'm hoping to, you know, launch by the end of the year here, if not the very beginning of, of next year. I'm also putting together a sleep health program for, you know, just the general population that takes all of what we know about sleep and kind of condenses it down into practical, tangible strategies that are really easily implemented for people. But really the goal is just to ultimately spread the word more and more on sleep to everyone to get more people optimizing it to get more coaches coaching it and, you know, really to, to get it out there. I love it, man. Well, Nick, you've been great to talk to you today. Where can my listeners find out more about you and what you have going on? Sure. So for sleep specifically, you know, you mentioned that my brand is the online sleep coach. So my website is onlinesleepcoach.com. I'm the online sleep coach on Instagram. So can, can be connected with on, on any of those. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, cool, man. I'll make sure I get, you know, all those links in the show notes so people can find you and see what you're doing. But again, Nick, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. It was really great catching up. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot for having me on. Much appreciated. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Nick. As I told you up front, short, practical, to the point. I loved it. I thought it was one of those shows where could we have gone super nerdy, super geeky, got into a lot of the research and all that? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, a lot of us want to know, like, what can we start doing right now today to start getting better sleep or to start educating our clients and athletes better as to how to improve their sleep practices? So if you took something away from this show, I would love it and deeply appreciate it if you could share it with anybody 
that may need to get this message, whether it's a friend, a colleague, a fellow athlete, a trainer, coach, doesn't matter. If somebody can benefit from hearing this, I would love it if you would share it with them. And as always, my friend, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.